So let's start with scripture today. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. If you are a student of the Bible, if you're a little bit of a Bible nerd, or if you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard that the book of Philippians, the whole book, is considered the book of joy. It's just full of joy. The whole tone and tenure and foundation and message uh, of the book of Philippians is joy. And uh, in fact, what makes it even more powerful is that God used to write this letter, not while he was vacationing in the Bahamas, but while, while he was in prison waiting to be sentenced to death, right? That's, it's remarkable that somebody in that kind of situation is joyful. He's joyful. And not only is he joyful, but he's writing about joy, encouraging others to be joyful, which is kind of hard for us as humans, right? When you're miserable, you kind of want everybody else to be miserable too, right? Or if you're miserable, right, and other people are happy, you kind of secretly hate them. Like, there's, there's just a little part of me that hates you, right? If you're single and somebody's like, guess what? I'm getting married. <laughs> part of me hates you right now, right? Right? Am I right? Am I right? I'm saying... All I'm saying is that God's joy is beyond the natural. Amen. God's joy is supernatural. In fact, I, I heard a story the other day of uh, a man who, uh, there was a pastor and he got a letter from somebody. And this letter was, uh, this guy was writing about his friend. And he said, dear pastor, uh, I have a friend who has brain cancer. He's been battling with brain cancer. He's going through treatments and it's been terrible. It's been horrible. He's been suffering, right? But let me tell you about his relationship with God. His relationship with God is is so good. How do I know it's so good? He said that one of the nurses, right, one of the nurses took his chart, right, those things that take notes about the patient. She wrote, and uh, she wrote that Mr. So-and-so is inappropriately joyful. <laughs> she said, he's like crazy joyful that it seems weird and rude, and because she's like, nobody in the cancer ward is this joyful. This joyful, and in fact, he's so happy that it just seems kind of rude. <laughs> Life to be inappropriately joyful, meaning that his joy wasn't because of his circumstance or situation, even in the midst of his great suffering and cancer. He had a joy that this world could not understand and that this world does not have. Amen? This is the joy that God wants you to have today. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, it'll be on the screen. It says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice! Exclamation point. You have to understand that, you know, everything in the Bible is intentional. When it uses an exclamation point or when it repeats itself, uh, it's very important. And it, use, it repeats itself here, the scripture, the verse. In one verse, it says the word rejoice twice, and, and it puts an exclamation point on that. Please take a note. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. I'll read the CEV version. CEV version. It says, always be glad because of the Lord. I will say it again. Be glad, be glad. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Put amen in the chat. Put an emoji in the chat. However, may be, God is good. Amen. Uh, one of the things that I find interesting about this verse is how it commands, right? It actually commands, necessitates uh, joy. 
you know oftentimes we think of joy as not something that you necessarily do on purpose but it's usually something that happens to you we think of joy as a in a passive state in a passive state passive i don't really do anything joy happens to me right i win the lottery i'm happy i get the job i'm happy right i meet a girl i'm happy when good things happen to me i'm happy if good things don't happen to me i'm not happy right to us humanly that logic that, that that it makes sense you know how can you make yourself joyful how can you obey a command to be joyful and uh, but yet here in scripture it says rejoice be happy because of God all the time and in fact it it punctuates the importance of this by repeating it I will say again be glad you know in other words you know, Paul, Paul saying, let me repeat myself so you understand. I'm not joking. I'm not just saying this. I'm not just trying to make you feel good. No, this is serious business. One person said this, joy is serious business in the kingdom of God. Amen. Joy is the serious business of the kingdom of God. And I think one of the reasons why he's making it an imperative and a command uh, is to communicate to us the importance, the importance, the necessity, how critical joy is to the Christian life. He's basically saying joy is important. Joy is important. And you need to pursue joy. You need to seek joy. You need to cultivate joy. You can't be passive about joy, in other words. You can't just wait for it to happen to you, right? You got to, you got to go and get it. Go get it right get it like a dog after a bone right go get it right you can't be passive about it why because it's important it's important and so what's what's funny and often amusing to me is how oftentimes as christians we talk about obeying god in fact i was reading something on the internet where somebody was saying obedience to god is the most important thing right it, as a christian which is kind of right kind of not right in fact the greatest commandment is not obey the Lord your God. It is love the Lord your God, but that's another sermon. Amen? But it's true. Obedience is, is uh, Im Im very important when it, when it comes to being a Christian, right? If you have no desire to obey God, then maybe you're not really a Christian, right? And so there's this desire. I'm not talking about ability, right? The ability to obey God is different than the desire to obey God. The true Christian has this heart, this passion, this conviction to follow Jesus. And my point is, is that often when we talk about obeying God, we fail to emphasize that we need to obey this command of being joyful. Hallelujah, right? Isn't, isn't that crazy? It's like God is saying, I want you to be joyful. I want you. It's, it's so important that I'm going to put it as a command. It's not optional, right? I don't want you to be miserable. That's not what this Christian life is about. That's not what faith is about. It's not all about suffering and doom and, and, and peeking across and suffering. That's not the core of God's heart to us. And in fact, in order to get that through to us, into our minds, into our hearts, he commanded it twice. He repeated himself. He says, rejoice in the Lord Always, I will say it again, rejoice. Amen. And before you think that God is some kind of sadist that's just kind of commanding you just to be happy. No, he actually gives you a reward. He says, in me, you're going to find joyful. Amen. He's not just saying, for me, be happy, laugh when I command you to laugh. No, he's saying, look, I need you to understand that there is divine, glorious joy in me for you. If you believe it, somebody said, amen. And so God is saying that joy is important. Joy is important to the kingdom of God, right? Because God has a purpose for joy. 
That's one of the reasons why joy is so important to God. That's why joy is so important to the kingdom of God. That's why it's so important as part of being a Christian is because God has a divine purpose for joy in your life. It's not optional. You need joy. You need joy. You must have joy. God is passionate about you being joyful because he has a purpose for joy in your life. Amen? There's a function. Go with me to the book of Hebrews. Of course, you don't really have to turn there. You can read it on the screen with me. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. I'm going to be reading from the NLT version. Book of Hebrews, chapter 12. The Bible says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, right? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Amen. This is what I want you to catch. Because for him, we're talking about Jesus, because there was joy, because there was joy all around him, because there was joy in front of him, that made him, caused him to be able to do what he did by enduring and suffering through and dying on the cross, by being crucified, by dying a sinner's death for us. So in other words... Jesus didn't do what he did without joy, right? Jesus, or maybe you could say Jesus couldn't do what he did without joy. Now understand that uh, when I speak of joy, I'm talking about God, talking about the Holy Spirit and all of that, right? But, but in a sense, joy was very, very much a part of the obedience of Jesus. Now, if Jesus needed joy as part of his obedience to God, how much more than we as humans Right? That's the need God's joy in order to follow Jesus. Right? Joy is the strength of the Christian. Joy gives us, as Christians, it gives us strength and it gives us power to live the Christian life. It empowers all the various things that God wants us to do. When it comes to faith, you need joy. Joy is going to fuel and empower your faith. If you need to be patient, God calls us to be patient, right? God fuels our patience. We are called to love, right? Joy fuels and empowers our love. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, it says, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. Talk, talking about holiness right now. Talking about holiness, right? This day is holy to our Lord. Separate joy and holiness, right? Holiness is being serious and, you know, deny yourself and suffering. In fact, holiness and joy go together. That's what the Bible says. Joy is not the opposite or contradictory. It's not contradictory to holiness. It is part of holiness. In fact, I would even say that because the Holy Spirit is full of joy. God is full of joy, right? That, that to be joyful is to be holy, right? To be holy is to be joyful. I don't know if I worded that correctly, but you're, I'm, I'm 
I'm trying to make the point that holiness and joy go together. Now catch this. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is your? What is it, David? Say it again so they can hear you. Preach it loud. Strength, right? The joy of the Lord is your strength. So if you don't have joy, simple logic says what? Strength. You don't have power. You don't have ability from God to do what God has called you to do. You're called to be a musician. You're called to be an engineer. You need joy to follow God's calling and purpose in your life. God has called you to love. But so many Christians are trying to love without joy. We're supposed to sacrifice. But so many Christians try to sacrifice without joy. Some people were called to be patient. But some people try to be patient. So many Christians are miserable and burnt out today. Because they try to be patient, they try to be loving, they try to have faith, they try to do all the things we're called to do by God without joy. Because you think joy is optional. You think joy is a result. You think joy is like the cherry on top. It's not really the core or important part of being a Christian. No, it's everything. It is absolutely essential. It is in the core of the core. Right there with love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, general faith, all the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, the kingdom of God, Romans says that the kingdom of God is what? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You cannot separate joy from the kingdom of God. And you cannot separate the concept of joy from being a Christian. You cannot separate the concept of joy from following Jesus. We need joy because here's the purpose of joy, to give you power. That's God's purpose for joy. That's God's purpose for joy in your life, to give you power, to give you strength, to do the things that he's called to do. Isn't it true that it's so much easier to do things when you're happy? (laughs) Amen? Isn't, Isn't it true? Right? I mean... For example, waiting. Waiting is, you know, depending on the situation, waiting sucks, right? If you're stuck in traffic, waiting sucks. You, you know, sinjile, right? How do you say that in Korean? Sinjil na, sinjile, right? It's like, road rage, right? Because you're waiting to get home, right? So it's very hard. You just got to just chamo through, right? But for example, what about like a kept designer? He's like, oh my gosh, Lord, please let her be the one, right? Outside, waiting in the car, whatever it is, Five minutes go by, 10 minutes go by, 30 minutes goes by. But do you think he's miserable? No, he's still absolutely happy. He's excited. He don't care if it takes an hour, right? And of course, that's before you get married. After you get married, it's a little bit of a different story. But, But he's happy. That's my point. That joy makes the waiting, makes being patient a whole lot easier. Do you see what I'm saying, right? It's easier to do things. Why? Because joy is power. Joy is strength, right? It's, 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 it's hard to, to wait without joy. But when you have joy, right, it's much easier to wait. It's hard to love without joy, but it's much easier to love when there is joy. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, mm, man, I got so much to say, but I'm like, oh, try to save time, Jimmy. Try to save time. All right. So anyways, I think you get my point. So let's move on to the next part of the sermon, which is this. So the question today that I want us to examine, to answer is, uh, you know, joy can come from many different places when it comes to people, when it comes to the world, right? And, uh, 
you know, some people get joy because of a relationship. Some people get joy because of a job, uh, because they're working, you know, their dream job or they had success or they got an A plus on their paper, whatever, right? Somebody said something nice to you. Oh, yeah, that dress, dress looks nice. No, really? You think so? <laughs> you think I look good in this dress? Yes, you do, right? We, we feel joy because of different reasons and because of different things. So the question today is, where does Christian joy come from? Right? Well, where do, where, where do Christians get their joy? Or what, what causes joy for the Christians? What is the source of joy for Christians? And there is a lot, right? There is a lot, ladies and gentlemen. I am not going to uh, uh, day, but I am going to try to point out or highlight uh, some of the most basic, fundamental. When I say basic, I don't mean boring, right? I'm saying about the most fundamental, uh, most important uh, sources of joy for the Christian. And these sources... Uh, you know, more or less are, are sources of joy that are continual in our life, no matter what the situation. Just like that guy with the brain cancer, that he was still joyful, right? And, and people were kind of offended that he was so happy still, right? It's like, what are you, 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 you stop smiling, man. You should be miserable, right? Uh, we're talking about that kind of joy, joy that you can have no matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstance. And so these are those joys. And so we can talk about blessings, right? Blessings of God uh, are definitely a source of joy. But how many know that sometimes you feel blessed and sometimes you don't? Sometimes God answers and sometimes you're waiting for God to answer. And so that's a little bit of situational. So I want to kind of more feel like you're in a season of blessing or not, then powerful, uh, whoever you are, wherever you are in life, whether you're a young Christian, old Christian, struggling with sin Christian, mature Christian, doesn't matter. These are our sources of joy. Amen. Number one. Our number one source of joy is God. God. God is our number one source of joy. He himself is the treasure for the Christian. He himself, who he is in his being, who he is in his character, who he is in his thoughts, and in all of his ways, right? He is the treasure, the true treasure, more than what he does, right? See, when we're young Christians, we find joy in what God does for us, right? But the sign of maturity and the goal is to get so close to God that it becomes not just about what, so that what he does tells me who he is, so I fall in love not with what he has done or what he does, but I'm falling in love with him to the point where no matter what he does, no matter what he doesn't do, I'm still in love with God because of who he is because I've realized he's my greatest treasure. Amen. Right? My wife loves me whether I buy her flowers or not. Uh, and uh, before you judge me as a husband, she told me not to buy flowers, yeah. okay? Right? But... But I'm not a perfect husband. There's many things I, I fail to do for my wife, you know. Um, but, but she still loves me, right? And she doesn't love me because of the things I do for her, but she loves me because of me, for who I am to her. See, that's what I'm talking about. That's what real love is, right? Love gets to a point where you're in love with the person for who that person is, not just for what they do. Now, joy comes from what God does for us, but it's not just about that. What he does for us is supposed to who he is ultimately. So that, right, just to gaze. If I could just look at him forever, I would be in paradise. I would be eternally joyful. How beautiful God must be for that statement to be true. Amen. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, which we read earlier, I want to read in a different version. This is the Philips version. It says this, Delight yourselves in God. Yes, find your joy in Him at all times. You know, there are times when I'm miserable, 
because of situations or circumstances or people, right? Uh, in fact, yesterday I, I, I got into a bit of a biking accident. That's why my <laughs> wrist is all t taped up. Uh, but beyond that, there, there's our, our family, in fact, has gone through some tremendous, tremendous shaking and uh, tremendous dark times and, and terrible things uh, in this past uh, season in our life. And, and during these times, you know, one of the things that has kept me hopeful and kept me persevering in strength is when I think about my family. You know, I think about how much my wife loves me. I think about how much, uh, you know, my, my mom, my sister, my sister-in-law, my parents-in-law, like how loving they are, how much they care for me, and how much jerk I am, but they still love me, <laughs> how, how bad of a son I am, but they still love me. And that, that gives me this joy, this hope. And so I delight in them, right? That is what gives me joy. Who they are, their love for me, right, gives me this joy, gives me this strength. And that's what the Bible's talking about, right? You can delight in God like that. You can find joy in who God is in your life like that. Delight yourselves in God. Find joy in Him at all times. In fact, the message version says this. Celebrate God all day, every day. Hallelujah. Every day. I mean, revel in Him. Celebrate God all day. You know, we're humans. And about things, and, and then we stop being so excited about things. You, you know what I'm saying? It's like when you first got the iPhone, it's like, ooh, yeah, I love my iPhone, right? But one month later, you're just tossing it, like, anywhere, right? Before, it was like, do not even breathe on my iPhone. Do not touch it. Don't look at it. I don't want to scratch on it, right? But a month later, the excitement wears off, right? That happens with everything. You know, that, that sort of initial excitement of joy kind of wears off, right? And, and part of that is okay, and part of that is not okay, right? Uh, because... Of course, you don't want to always live in the honeymoon season, but there's this thing about gratitude that keeps us joyful in something, right? That, that we can sustain joy about something if we intentionally, again, the Bible says rejoice. Got to do something on purpose. Don't be passive, right? Be intentional, right? Rejoice. And so this, so this verse is saying celebrate is uh, designed just, to, just like you get hungry, right? You eat, you get full, but then you get hungry again. Just like that, you need to refresh and refeed your joy in certain things all the time. And one of the key ways you stay joyful in God is to keep celebrating God. You keep celebrating God. You keep celebrating the things that He's done for you. You keep celebrating your salvation. And when you celebrate God all day, every day, that's how you continue to stay joyful in Him. Psalm 70, 37, Psalm 37, verse 4, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Right? Delight yourself in the Lord, right? Do something, right? Give thanks, think about, right? Psychologists will tell you, if you want to be happy, do this practice, right? right? Write down or speak out 10 things you're thankful for every day. When you're mad, right? Speak out 10 things that you're thankful for, right? In us as human beings that we need to speak out, we need to intentionally give thanks and meditate on the positive, on the good things, things we're thankful for. So the Bible says, delight yourself in God. Delight yourself in God, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, here's the thing. Just knowing that God is God will not give you joy. Not necessarily. It can, but it's not going to be enough over the duration of your life, right? Just believing God is God, just believing God is real is not enough. Why do I say that? Because the book of James says that even demons believe in God, right? Even demons, even the devil knows that God is God right? That doesn't make them joyful. That doesn't make them happy, right? 
See, God could say in his holiness and in his majesty and his omnipotence, he could say, hey, you know what? I'm God. I don't need to do anything for you in order for you to be happy about me, right? But because he's love, because he's love, because he's good, right? He does do things. He does show us his goodness. He does pour out his grace and his love upon us, right? And his goodness upon us so that we can delight in him. Now, here's my point. A lot of Christians don't delight in God. A lot of Christians don't delight in God, right? You know you're supposed to, but you if you're really honest with yourself, you don't know if you really delight. You don't really know if you really enjoy God. Some of you are scared of God. Some of you, when bad things happen, the first thing you think is, God did this. God is punishing me. God is after me. It proves a point that deep down inside, at the core of your faith, right, you don't really believe that God is truly, truly good. He's not a masochist. He's not a sadist. He's not some court judge and police officer trying to police you and trying to punish you. No, he is a good, good father. Amen. He's a good father. He loves you. Now, if you know that he's good, that's where the delight will come from. You can't delight in God if you think he's this hard taskmaster, you know, slave driver, you know, uh, a scary God in the sky waiting to strike you down. You can't delight in a God like that. Right? You, you can't delight in a God who, who you think that you have to work for in order to make happy. Right? That's, the, that's the prodigal son story. The older brother was working in the field trying to get his father to bless him. And so the son did not delight in the father. In fact, he got mad at the father. He, he blamed the father for all his problems and for his misery and for his lack of joy. Right? He didn't delight in the father. He treated the father like a boss. If you're treating God like a boss, you're not delighting him. Right? <laughs> when I say like a boss, I understand the slang term is actually a good thing. Like a boss. I'm not saying that. I'm talking like a scary, you know, bossy boss. Right? No, God is good. Amen. Delight yourself in the Lord, right? If you can't delight yourself in the Lord, maybe it's time for you to change the way you see God, right? It's time to know that He is a good Father. Amen? Amen. Amen. Number two, right? Let's move right along. Uh, Number two, the second source of joy for the Christian is God's presence. God's presence. Being near God. Knowing that God is with us. In fact, experiencing You can experience and sense God's presence in your life if you pray for it. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, it says this, You make known to me the path of life. What's the path of life? You will find me, you will fill me, you will fill me with joy in your presence. Right? Being filled with joy in God's presence is part of the path of life. And you will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Hallelujah. The NLV, I know a lot of times we use the NIV, but this is the NLV version. It says this, you will show me the way of life. Being with you is to be full of joy. In your right hand, there is happiness forevermore. So again, for the Christian, for the believer, right? When you believe in Jesus, all of our sin right, is not only washed away, but Jesus gives us his righteousness. And so we are fully accepted. And because we're fully accepted, we are fully, fully close to God. Do you understand that? The Bible says that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. It means that there is no distance. There is no gap. There is no God up there, us here, right? The language of the gospel is mind-boggling. The language of the gospel is offensive, to people who try to only focus on God's holiness because Jesus says, you sit in my chair, which is the throne of God. You are seated with me, 
right? Meaning that there is no lack of holiness that separates you from my throne. In fact, you are so holy, you could sit in my throne. Why? Because it's not, in fact, your holiness that you have. It's my holiness. But because of my holiness, you are near me. Amen. You have God's presence in your life. In fact, you have full access to God's presence in your life. There is nothing to separate you. Some of you think, well, once I become a good enough Christian, once I pray enough, once I fast enough, once I have enough faith, then I can experience and know, and then I can really be close to God. No, no. The Christian life starts opposite. You don't get good and being God, get close to God. You're close to God, and that makes you good. Amen? Amen? You, you don't become good and then get close to God, right? You don't pray a lot, fast a lot. You don't do all these good works so you can be close to God. Now, those things help to help us experience what we already have. Those things help us to unleash and manifest what we already have. But the truth of the gospel is that you are already close to God. God's presence is with you. Amen? Right? You are in God's presence. So, I want to encourage you to pray more and more to know and to experience. Yes, experience God's presence in your life. There are many ways you can experience God's presence. One of them is, is literally by feeling. Some of us, actually, you can feel. Like you sense something. Some of us, it's, it's like a peace in our heart. I went to church today. I came out. I don't know why. I just feel much more peaceful. That is experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit. I know people who aren't even Christian. They come to church and they start crying. And they're like, I don't know why I'm crying. That is the presence of the Holy Spirit. That is the presence of God. Some people, you get an answer to prayer. You're praying for something, something happens and, and you're like, oh my gosh, God answered my prayer. That is experience the presence of God. Hallelujah. Amen. So you can, you can pray for it. Pray. God, help me to recognize your presence. Can I say that? Because you are experiencing God's presence daily. If you're a Christian, I want to believe. I want to declare that you are experiencing God's presence daily. But some of you are like, I don't think so. See, what you need to pray is for your spiritual eyes to be opened. Amen. And you'd be like, oh, that's God's presence. Oh, that's God's presence. So many things that I just thought was coincidence or was just something else. Oh, that was actually God's presence. Amen. Pray for the eyes of your heart to be made open to spiritual eyes so you can start recognizing God's presence. Amen. All right. Number three. I've got seven of these. Can you believe it? And I'm only on number three. Let's move fast. Let's move fast. Number three. Another source of joy. The work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I just talked about the Holy Spirit in His presence, but I want to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of man, not the fruit of your works, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things. There is no law, right? My point is, joy is supposed to be a fruit of the Spirit. It's something that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, produces in and through us. It's something that the Holy Spirit does in us and through us. So we need the work of the Holy Spirit, right? When God says, be joyful, right? When, the, when Philippians 4 says, be joyful, He's not going to say, He's not saying, you know, you know, make yourself, force yourself, use your strength to be joyful. Like, <laughs> I'm going to smile and laugh all the time. I'm going to be joyful, right? <laughs> That's not the point, right? You can't force joy. You can't fabricate joy by your strength, right? And, and that's the whole Christian message is that this is not about you doing things by your own strength, right? So why would he say be joyful when you can't fabricate joy by your own works or by your own strength? That's the point. So when he says be joyful, that's kind of like saying, now go do and seek the things that are going to make you joyful. Number one, the Holy Spirit, 
right? So be joyful. So what do I, what, what do I need to do? I got to get close to God. I got to celebrate God. And I, gotta need, I need to ask the Holy Spirit to help me out. I need to ask the Holy Spirit to change my heart. I need the Holy Spirit, right, to, to change my, my thinking, to change me from the inside out, and to give me joy, to fill me with joy by His power and by His strength, amen, for Him to produce the fruit of joy in my life in my life. Amen? So it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Number four, heaven. Heaven, right? What is coming? When Jesus returns, heaven, that's when we, that's when we talk about heaven, right? What happens after we die, right? That we are joining God forever and ever in the paradise that He has prepared for all believers, right? In eternity to come. Heaven is an incredible source of joy. You know, in this day and age, you know, uh, you know, we, we, we get caught up in a lot of different things uh, in life. And uh, I think we don't preach about heaven enough. I don't preach about heaven enough uh, because it's just, it's such a big thing, you know. But these days I'm like, man, I really do want to talk about heaven more. I want to emphasize heaven, that heaven has given so many saints, so many followers of God throughout centuries, right, this tremendous sense of source. It's been a source of joy to overcome a source of joy, to persevere through some of the most terrible, most horrible, horrific things in life, you know. And, uh, and so this is what I want for you, is to also share in that joy and to understand, right, that uh, heaven, right, knowing that this world is not everything. This world is not our home, right? That especially the terrible things that happen in this life, and if you're going through a hard time, here's the good news. None of those things are going to last forever. Sickness will not last forever. Suffering will not last forever. It will end. And when it ends, e eternal joy, Amen. eternal pleasure will take place, right? All the pains in this life, I said this last week, right, can be equated to like birthing pains, right? And giving birth is super painful from what I've heard. Not that I've experienced or will ever experience, but what I've been told, what I've researched is that it's, it's the most tremendous pain, right? But then even that pain is forgotten when there's tremendous joy that replaces it, right? You're going to experience unfathomable joy. Like I know a lot of people who try to experience try to describe heaven or there's people who has testimonies that they died for a minute and went to heaven and they try to describe heaven I'm pretty sure all of their descriptions all their experience of heaven no matter how beautiful wonderful it seems it's still like this right it's still really it's just an iota compared to what heaven really is going to be the pleasure and joy because that's the only way it makes sense that all the suffering when Jesus says this here Revelation chapter 21 Verses 3 to 5, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. For the, for the old order, order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Amen. Amen. Right? It's, it's crazy for me to say that heaven is going to be so good that it's going to make every pain, every horrible thing that ever happened in this world, it's going to make it like a distant memory. Right? It's going to, it's going to make us forget 
all the terrible, horrible things that happened in this life. And you're like, how can you say that? How can you say that when, 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 when there's disease, when, when, when people lose their jobs? How can you say when there's things like the Holocaust, right? Well, understand then what I'm saying is that heaven is that amazing. Heaven is going to be that joyful, that crazy good that it can make things like that a distant memory, you know. So speaking of pain, you know, it's, it's the nightmares of our life, the, 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 the pains of our life, the suffering of our life, that's what it's going to be. It's like, it's going to be like waking up from a nightmare. Have you ever woken up from a nightmare? Doesn't it feel so good? <laughs> right? You know, I've had like nightmares where like I'm back in school and it's like, uh, I have to take a final. I'm like, no! And then you wake up and you're like, oh God, I think it was just a nightmare, right? You know, or, or, or I've had really bad nightmares, right? really scary nightmares, right? And then you wake up and you're like, oh, thank God, it was just a dream, right? That is what Christians are going to experience, right? Whether you've gone through cancer, whether you've gone through loss, whether you love loved ones, whether you've gone through something as horrible as the Holocaust, and I know what I'm saying. I'm, I, it seems like I'm trying to trivialize something like the Holocaust. I'm not. What I'm, trying to, what I'm trying to do is glorify and help you to understand just how big and amazing heaven is going to be. And the reason why heaven is going to be so great, you know, so many religions have different versions of heaven, right? Like, oh, you're going to live in big houses or you're going to have like many wives, right? The Christian version of heaven is this, right? You're going to be with God forever and ever, yes. right? You're going to be with God forever and ever. And you're like, I thought God is already with us. This is, this is us with God in a fallen world, in a fallen state. In heaven, it's going to be way, way, way better. Way, way more glorious. It's going to be way more glorious. That's the only word I can think of to, to, to uh, describe it. It's going to be infinitely more glorious. It's going to be so glorious, in fact, that it's going to be the one thing we desire, the one thing we want for all eternity. It's that good. Amen. God is that good. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Amen. So... We need to start looking forward to heaven. Number five. Oh my gosh. I need five, six, and seven. Let me, let me do this real quick. Number five. Grace. Grace, grace, grace is the constant source of joy for every Christian. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. All right. Amen. So don't ever, ever, ever let anyone make you think that you are ever saved by works. It's all by grace. And when you know that, there's joy. Psalm 51, verse 12, it says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Amen. Right? So again, this is David praying this prayer after he fell into great sin. He realized, you know why I fell into sin? is because I lost my joy. When you lose joy, again, joy is the power of the Christian to keep following God. You need that joy. Now, you can have joy and still sin. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. Right, But I believe joy will help us not only to obey God, but it will help us to, to persevere. Right? It will help us to, when we do fall, we're going to keep getting back up. When we do fall, we're going to keep running back to Jesus. How many Christians, when you fall, when you sin, the last place you go is church. The last place you go is to God. The last thing you do is pray. Why? Because you're so filled with guilt and you know, shame. You don't know the grace of God. Right? The grace of God means if you know that God is good and you know the grace of God, it means when you sin, He's the first person you're going to turn to. Amen? He's the first one you're going to run to. He's the first one you know that you're going to be safe with. Amen? Amen. See, a lot of Christians, now when it comes to grace, when it comes to grace, here's an important point. A lot of Christians, you are happy as a Christian when you are a good Christian. But when you're a bad Christian, you're not happy as a Christian. 
right? Oh, I'm doing so good in my faith, right? We ask this question, so how's your faith? How's your walk with Jesus? Oh, I'm praying a lot. You know, I'm going to church faithfully. I'm tithing faithfully. I stopped sinning. I stopped looking at pornography. I stopped doing all these. And when you're doing, when you're being a good Christian, you feel good and you feel joyful. But then when you're being a bad Christian, oh, I didn't pray. I haven't prayed for so long. I stopped going to church. Oh, my gosh, you know, I, I, I looked at pornography or I did this. I lied or whatever. When you're being a bad Christian, you lose your joy. That is proof that God is not your joy. You are. One pastor said this. That is proof that you are your own idol. What's an idol? Our idols are the source of our joy. Right? It's the basis of our joy. So your performance as a Christian is now the basis of your joy. When I do good, I'm joyful. When I do bad, I'm not joyful. No. As a Christian, the gospel says when you're doing good, we rejoice because of Jesus. When we're doing bad, we rejoice because of Jesus. Right? He's the same yesterday, today, forever, which means my joy can be the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why is that important? Because when I sin... Joy is going to be give me the strength to repent. Joy is going to be give me the strength to not give up. Joy is going to give me the strength to keep pursuing holiness because of Jesus. Amen? Amen. 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 You need grace. You need grace. The power of grace in your life. Number six, purpose. Purpose. Having God's purpose gives us joy in life. Amen? Oh, gosh. Uh, Philippians chapter one. It's, it's really long. Let me just read a part of it, right? <sighs> Let's read, uh, mm, let's just read the whole thing. I know we're, we're going over time, but I just can't. It's just too good just to cut anything out. Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 26. I will try to read, you know, Pastor Jimmy Speed real fast. Four, this is Paul, right? Paul in Philippians, in jail, about to be executed for his faith. Instead of blaming God for, for, for his pain and his suffering, no, he's rejoicing. He says, in verse 21, Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Right? Heaven is my home. He's looking forward to death. He's like, dying, dying is gain. Right? I'm entering into paradise with Jesus forever. Verse 22. Now, if I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. What's he talking about? He's talking about purpose. I've got purpose. If I live, if I keep living, I've got purpose in this life. Yet, what shall I choose? I don't know. Verse 23, I'm torn between two and the two. I desire to, de to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Look at, look at, look at Paul. Look how close he is. Look how much he understands how good God is. He's like, I welcome death, right? I'm welcoming death. Death is a welcome friend. Why? Because it is my entry into, right, God's presence for eternity, right? To be with Jesus is better than anything in this world. It's better than anything that this world can offer me. It's better than any pleasure, any goodness, any success, any dream that could be fulfilled in my life. I have no regrets. I have no regrets. Every goal that I didn't meet, every dream that went unfulfilled, doesn't matter. Being with Jesus is better by far. Verse 24, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. He's saying, I know I'm not dying tomorrow. I know I'm going to continue to living for a little bit more, right? And so I'm going to remain, right? Why? For you guys, to serve you guys, to bless you guys, for God to use me to bless you, right? I have a purpose. Verse 26, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound account of me, right? I'm going to be a part of your destiny. I'm going to be a part of your breakthrough. I'm going to be a part of you, right? And your joy, right? So you have you have purpose. And uh, 
of course, we're out of time, so I'm not going to describe all the purposes of God that God has because there's too many, and we've covered them in the sermon. So go back, YouTube, podcast, listen to the sermons, right? If you want to know what God, purposes God has for you. But again, your purpose includes knowing God, enjoying God, being loved by God, being enjoyed by God, being used by God, right? God has a purpose for you, right? God says, go make disciples of all nations. He says, go heal the sick, right? Feed the poor. He has a purpose for you. He says, love me, enjoy me, be in my presence. He has a purpose for you. So I want to say this for every Christian. I'm not talking about non-Christians. I'm talking to every Christian. Purpose for the Christian is not a matter of finding anymore. See, I hear a lot of Christians say, I don't know my purpose. I need to find my purpose. No, 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 you don't. It's all right here already. It's all written out. You don't need to find your purpose. You need to accept your purpose. Amen. You need to accept your purpose. Your purpose, the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's your purpose. So in, in a way, it's ridiculous, and it doesn't make sense for a Christian to say, I don't know what my purpose is. No, what you're really saying is that you haven't accepted your purpose yet. You haven't said, God's mission is my mission. God's purpose is my purpose. Wow. You haven't done that yet. Right? You haven't done that yet. And when you do do that, you're going to be filled with incredible joy. Something in the Holy Spirit is going to click with your spirit. And you're like, okay, you know what? Right. I'm going to live for God's purposes. God's purpose is my purpose. I don't need anything else. That doesn't mean you're going to be a missionary, a pastor, right? You can be entertainment. You can be a housewife. You can be an engineer. You can be a musician, an artist, right? But it's saying, in all these things I do, they're not my real purpose, right? They're my goal. They're my dreams. They're not my vision. My vision is Jesus. My vision is his, his vision. I want to fulfill the vision of Jesus in my life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Right? So accept and receive your purpose today. Number seven, we made it. We made it. Wow. We made it. 313. Right? Not bad. Number seven, another source of joy, continual source for joy for the Christian is this, our identity. Our identity in Christ. I should, uh, you know, uh, make that clear. It's our identity in Christ. Christ, right? Because I feel like, and, and this was me, you know, when I was younger, uh, I, I had so much zeal for Jesus, right? Uh, I, I was very, I was very religious. Uh, I, I was sincere, but at the same time, I thought the best way to serve God, you know, was, you know, through suffering and pain and self-denial and all those kinds of things. And, uh, and so, you know, I didn't smoke, drink, or chew, or hang out with people who do, right? It's a saying that we used to have, right? Don't smoke, don't cuss, don't chew. Chew is the tobacco you put in your mouth. And don't hang out with people you do, who do, right? Because we thought that was holiness. It's like, don't hang out with, don't, don't be close to, uh, you know, sinners. Don't be close to non-Christians because they're going to bring you down. They're going to make you a sinner, right? But then I realized, wait a second, that's not what Jesus did at all. <laughs> that's what religious people did. That's what religious people taught, right? You know, Christians, we teach, protect your holiness by separating yourself from the world. But Jesus says, no, your holiness is so powerful that if you go in the world, you will make them holy, right? You're going to bring the light of Jesus to their life. But uh, anyways, sorry, off track. My point being is... Uh, the moment that my life changed, because I was doing all the right things, I was, I was, I was, I was, I was trying to be obedient, I was trying to be pure, I was trying to be holy, uh, but my life was completely empty, totally empty. Uh, had nothing to complain about, but I was still very empty. I had a good reputation back then. These days, you know, I think my reputation might be a little different. Right? It's like, oh, he's a jerk. But uh, back then, it was just like, oh, he's holy man, right? He's holy man. 
Uh, and, uh, uh, but the moment it changed was the moment that I really realized God's my father and I'm his son. God's my loving, good father, and he loves me the way a, a father delights in a child, right? The way the good father delights in their son or a daughter, right? That's the way he delights in me. It doesn't mean he delights in all the things I do, right? He doesn't delight in sin, but he delights in me. He loves me for who I am, not what I do, whether good or bad, right? Of course, the bad, he's going to deal with that, right? The good, we give thanks, but those are not the reasons why he loves me. He loves me because of who I am to him in Christ, through Christ. Christ has made me righteous, acceptable, holy, and delightful, right? You are delightful to God, amen. Now, a lot of Christians don't live in that identity. You live still as a slave and as a servant. That's your, that's your primary modus operandi when it comes to your Christian faith. You, 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 you say, you confess like, yeah, I'm a friend of God, what the Bible says, but really, the way you act, the way you think, truly actually reflects that you think the real life of a Christian is as a servant. But that's not what Jesus says. John 15, 15, it says this, I no longer call you servants, right? God is serious about this, guys. He's not just saying this to make us feel good. He's saying, right, you are not a servant. I don't call you a servant because a servant doesn't know his master's business, right? If you were still a servant, would, you, would I use you for my glory? Would you be a part of my plan? No, you wouldn't. Right? The fact that you are part of my plan, that, that you have my purpose, that you have a calling in life proves that I do not see you as a servant and you should stop thinking of yourself as a servant. You should stop acting as a servant. Amen? Going on. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Amen? Amen. Amen. God wants somebody today to live in a new freedom when it comes to your faith, in a new freedom and a new joy. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, and it says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You know why Paul is writing this? He's writing to the church of Galatia that they got saved, but then they said, oh, if we want to stay Christians, if we want to be good Christians, you got to do all these things. you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do that. And Paul says, stop! Right? Do those things not because you think by doing them you're accepted by God or loved by God or you'll be blessed by God or you got to do those things to continue to be a Christian. No, he says, don't do that. That is slavery. That's slavery. That's religion. Right? That's pre-Jesus. That's religion. Right? He's like, no, no, no. Jesus didn't set you free so you could still be a slave and live, live like a religious slave whether to religious works or even to lawlessness because some of us are slaves to sin he said jesus didn't die for you to be a slave to anything he died so that you could be a slave to love amen so you could be a slave to joy so that you could have freedom in jesus do you know that freedom today's the day today's the day i'm praying and believing right now in my heart in my spirit that you listening to the sermon and we're going to pray in a minute you are going to experience maybe for the first time you're going to taste and see the goodness of god and the free the true freedom the true freedom that comes through jesus amen freedom amen this is what god wants for you today to have freedom in your life as a christian thanks for joining us today 오늘 저희와 함께 해주셔서 감사합니다. Joyful City Church is an international church located in Ilsan that exists to make an impact in Korea and beyond. 
조이풀시티 교회는 일산에 위치한 국제교회로 한국과 전 세계에 영향력을 끼치기 위해 존재하는 교회입니다. Our mission is to help everybody taste and see that God is good. 저희의 미션은 모든 이들이 주님의 선하심을 맛보고 알도록 돕는 것입니다. So, whether you are a Korean or a foreigner, there's a community at our church for you. 여러분이 한국인이든 외국인이든 저희 교회에는 여러분을 위한 공동체가 있습니다. We would love for you to come visit us and give us a chance to make you feel at home. 그러니 꼭 오셔서 가족과 같은 공동체를 누려보세요. For information about our service time and directions, visit our website at joyfulcity.org. 예배 시간이나 주소 등더 많은 정보가 알고 싶으시다면 저희 웹사이트에서 확인하실 수 있습니다. 웹사이트 주소는 joyfulcity.org입니다. Thanks again and hope to see you soon. 다시 한번 감사드리고요. 곧 만나뵐 수 있기를 바래요.